It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, overprohibited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to episode number 38 of Unformidable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded myths in our beloved franchise's ever-quirky history. Because to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is, in their own way, unformidable. To uh, quote Tracy Jordan playing Tracy Jordan, if you want to make God laugh, make a plan. Or read him a Dave Barry book. But planning anything these days seems particularly futile in this time and era. But at least for now, it looks as if we're going to have a strange and unusual baseball season in 2020, which has kind of put me in mind of one of the first baseball seasons I remember well, and one that perhaps could feel like the closest antecedent to this one, that being the 1981 split season. A lengthy mid-season strike devastated the season, and really devastated six-year-old me, who simply didn't understand where his Mets went in the middle of that summer. 
This ball returned on August 10th of 1981 with the determination of a split season and a 50-ish game sprint. They just kept the original schedule. Teams didn't even play the exact same number of games, which had some divisional ramifications, uh, playoff ramifications, but there's a 50-ish, I think the Mets played 52 games in the second half of the season, uh, sprint to a second half divisional title that would in fact introduce the first divisional series in Major League Baseball history. And to show you what can happen, and as we all know now in that short sample size, an absolutely miserable Mets team that was 17-34 and 34 and already 15 games out of first place in June of 1981 when the strike hit, had a fresh start, and played a spate of pretty decent baseball, uh, getting to 500 and only sitting one to two games out of first place in September for the first time in my young life, and the first time in a number of years of the Mets life, for that matter. In addition to some burgeoning young talent you might have heard of, notably rookie seasons from Mookie Wilson and Hubie Brooks, uh, that team had a pretty decent bullpen uh, with the introduction of another rookie, Jesse Orozco, and also featured Jeff Reardon and future Keith Hernandez bait Neil Allen. But on August 19th, after the season restarted, the Mets supplemented that bullpen with a notable name in baseball history, who would close out an incredibly interesting baseball journey with the Mets. Uh, reliever and former Cy Young Award winner, the unformidable Mike Marshall. Thought this would be as good an occasion as any to take a look at his incredibly interesting life, brief but unformidable Met tenure, and a look at the wacky sprint of the Mets' 52-game second season in 1981. Michael Grant Marshall, known as Iron Mike for reasons you may well be aware of as a baseball fan, was born January 15, 1943, in Adrian, Michigan. As an 11-year-old boy, Marshall encountered a tragedy that changed his life. He was riding in a car driven by his uncle when the vehicle was struck by a train. The collision killed his uncle and left Marshall with a severe back injury. Hospitalized for a lengthy stay, Marshall developed an interest in the human body and the mechanics of how it worked, and that would serve him well in a profession dictated by and obsessed with mechanics, that of a major league pitcher. Uh, Marshall's interest didn't stop there, though. He attended Michigan State University, where he majored in physical education, uh, and he, over his even after he continued his education while in the majors, pursuing a doctorate, he became engrossed in kinesiology, uh, the study of the mechanics of human anatomy, uh, earning his Bachelor of Science in 1965, uh, and as I said, eventually earning a doctorate as he continued his studies in off seasons and during his baseball career. Marshall, with his studies, developed some interesting and iconoclastic ideas about pitching. He had an odd windup and pick up pickoff move. Uh, and he ultimately battled with teams uh, over, and he, ha he was well-traveled for many reasons uh, that we'll discuss, but he did battle with teams who wanted him to adapt to a more traditional pitching style over his career. Another area where Marshall differed is his belief that he could pitch more effectively by pitching almost every day, and eventually, as he excelled on the mound, Marshall would get the opportunity to back up this particular theory 
Originally drafted by the Phillies in 1960, Marshall went to school, went to college instead, and eventually his rights were acquired by the Detroit Tigers. He made his major league debut with his hometown team in 1967 on May 31st, appropriately enough doing what he would become known for, recording a game finished, uh, albeit that was pitching the last inning of a 9-0 Tiger loss. He allowed a run and two hits in that inning while striking out two, including Luis Tiant, back when pitchers were allowed to hit in both leagues. Ah, the good old days. I hate the phrase the good old days, but... I'll make an exception when it comes to talking about the designated hitter. Marshall quickly graduated from mop-up work, though, recording 10 saves as a rookie, recording a 1.98 ERA over 59 innings, presaging his future. At one point in 1967, he recorded six saves over a 10-game stretch in July, pitching two or more innings in five of those games. Not sure of the specifics, but unfortunately for Marshall, though he seemed to have a successful 1967, he spent the entirety of the 1968 season in AAA Toledo as the Tigers went on to win the World Series in 1968. Marshall was not a part of that team. Uh, He didn't get called up that season at all. He was drafted by the Seattle Pilots in the 69 expansion draft, um, struggled there uh, in his sole season with that organization, spent one season in Houston with the Astros in 1970 before getting traded to the Expos, where in Montreal, Mike Marshall would begin to develop into a star. Soon after joining the fledgling franchise, Marshall quickly became their closer. While his 1971 season, his first season in Montreal, was somewhat mediocre, 23 saves, 4.28 ERA, it would mark the first of five straight seasons in which the reliever would top 100 innings in more and more dramatic fashion as the stretch went on. From 1972 to 1974 with the Expos and then after a trade to the Dodgers, Marshall put up one of the great runs you'll ever see from a reliever, finishing fourth, second, and then ultimately first in the Cy Young Award voting, putting up huge war numbers for a reliever, four in 72, three in 73, 3.1 in 74. Uh, which is not surprising, as Marshall was pitching more than any reliever in history. In 1972, Mike Marshall appeared in 65 games, throwing 116 innings, 14-8, and 1.75 ERA, 18 saves, 2.36 FIP, 198 ERA plus, the best of his career. Followed that up in 1973 by pitching in 92 games, going 14 and 11 with 31 saves in 179 innings. And then we come to his 1974 Cy Young Award winning season, his first with the Dodgers. In a 162 game season, Mike Marshall appeared in 106 baseball games, finishing 83 of them. He was the last pitcher on the mound in more than half of the Dodgers games that season, going 15 and 12, 2.42 ERA. 21 saves in 208 and one-third innings pitched. The reliever faced 857 batters, an ERA plus of 141, a FIP of 2.59, and in 1974, Mike Marshall took home the National League Cy Young Award, the first reliever to ever do so. The 106 appearances is, of course, still a major league record for a pitcher, as is the fact that Marshall appeared in 13 straight games at one point.
point in time during that 1974 season. And he actually made 53 appearances over the course of the entire year on Zero Days Rest, including those 13 in a row. Even Pedro Feliciano couldn't quite match that, I'm afraid. Um, Marshall made the only playoff had a, the only playoff appearance of his career in 1974. He appeared in two of the four games in the Dodgers' triumph over the Pirates in the NLCS, three games to one. And no surprise, finishing the season as he started it, appeared in all five games of the 1974 World Series, gaining a save in the Dodgers' sole victory in Game Two. Uh, but taking the loss in Game 5, the only run he surrendered in nine innings of work in that World Series was a home run to Joe Rudy, which gave the A's Game 5 and their third straight Major League Baseball championship. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from, with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Marshall also had another interesting role in baseball history in 1974. His teammate that year, Tommy John, blew out his elbow in the middle of the pennant race, the type of injury that, especially in those days, ended careers. As mentioned, Marshall was working on his Ph.D. in kinesiology, uh, following up that Bachelor of Science at Michigan State, and had great interest in the human body, as discussed, and he actually was the one who suggested to Tommy John that he try having a graft done. He explained the procedure to John, who figured he had nothing to lose, so the two of them approached the Dodgers team physician, Dr. Frank Job, and ultimately decided that they would try that surgery, uh, which we all now know as Tommy John surgery. But uh, Dr. Job and Mike Marshall both had a huge impact, a huge role in the development of that surgery, which took place in November of 1974 when Job took a tendon from John's non-pitching forearm and used it as a replacement for Tommy John's tour in UCL. John did miss the entire 1975 season rehabbing, but returned in 76 and 77, pitching well enough in 77 to come in second in the Cy Young voting, and had a career that went on until 1989, having a Hall of Very Good, just short of Hall of Fame career, Although the poor man still remembered now mostly for the surgery that still bears his name and that his teammate Mike Marshall suggested to him. Marshall pitched well in 75 but struggled in 76, was traded to the Braves and then the Rangers where he mostly treaded water, but he had a late career renaissance with the Twins in 1978 and 1979 where he went back to putting up the numbers that made him famous in the early 70s. The age of 35 in 1978, Marshall 
made 54 appearances, throwing 99 innings, uh, 10 and 12, 21 saves, 2.45 ERA. Then at the age of 36, the Marshall Renaissance continued in 1979. He appeared in 90 games, the third highest total of his career, finishing 84 of them, uh, which was topped even his 1974 Cy Young Award season. 142 innings and 142 and two thirds innings pitched, 32 saves, 10 and 15, 2.65 ERA. Uh, some of his more advanced metrics uh, maybe show a little, little of the trend that he was aging. His FIP in 78 and 79 were were three and 3.42 respectively. But then again, no one paid attention to advanced metrics in 78 and 79, and Mike Marshall had just come off two seasons in which he finished 7th and 5th in the Cy Young voting, and actually 11th in the MVP voting in 1979. So it was a bit curious that when the, at the age of 37, Marshall struggled badly with going 1-3 and three with a 6.12 ERA, and the Twins actually waived him before the 1981 season. Now, granted, he was showing that, that there was that you could look at that as a precipitous decline and probably today when a 37 year old pitcher had that kind of season they would quickly uh, be shown the door but you know this was the 70s and the 80s when veteran presence was a magical term it seems kind of curious that someone who uh, one year previously led led the league in games games appearances games finished saved 32 games and came in fifth in the Cy Young Award voting would be released and not, not given an opportunity with another team shortly thereafter. But perhaps not so curious in the case of Marshall, who was a vocal leader of the Players Association throughout the 70s and into the 80s. And there was a lot of rife speculation that Marshall was in fact spurned due to his labor connections when no one came calling prior to the 1981 season with a ton of labor strife on the horizon. Marshall didn't get an opportunity anywhere in 1981 until the strike was completed and settled when the New York Mets came calling early in the second half of that strike truncated season. When the Mets signed Mike Marshall on August 19th, 1981, the team was a scintillating 6-3 and three in the second half of the Major League season, only a half game behind the St. Louis Cardinals, with only 40-something games left to play. I may have been six years old and dumb, and without the advantage of websites noting that every team had a mathematical chance of making the playoffs in a 52-60 to 60 game quote-unquote season, but all I knew is that I could look at the paper and see the New York Mets listed on a side of the standings that I'd never, ever seen them before, with September beckoning, 43 games left, so, you know, why not? Unfortunately, a half game out was as close as the Mets would get. I have to wait a few more years to see the team name atop the NLE standings. But it was a fun and strange time, especially for a franchise that had endured such dark times in the previous years. 1981 season with the Mets would wind up being Marshall's swan song, and he closed his career exactly how he lived it by appearing in 20 of the Mets' final 42 games. Mike Marshall recorded what would turn out to be the final victory of his career on 
September 16th, 1981, in the second game of a doubleheader. He pitched a scoreless eighth inning against the Phillies, and when John Stearns hit a two-run homer in the bottom of the inning off of Steve Carlton, it put Marshall on the long side. Neil Allen would come in to close out the game in the ninth recording the save, uh, giving Steve Carlton the loss and a bizarre eight inning, eight innings pitched, five earned run, 15 strikeout, complete game loss. Now the Mets would lose the next game on September 17th, uh, but then go on to a four-game winning streak, which would bring them up to 500 at 20 and 20. Uh, the la- the first three of those four wins were a three-game sweep of the then first-place St. Louis Cardinals, punctuated by a stirring comeback from five runs down on September 20th. Uh, This is a game in which Marshall came in with the Mets trailing and pitched two scoreless innings, setting up rookie Mookie Wilson for a dramatic walk-off two-run home run off of Bruce Suter, raising the Mets to 19-20 and and only two and a half games out of first place on the 20th of September. Alas, that was as close as the Mets would get to first place uh, from there on out. They went 4-8 over their final 12 games, and that sweep of the Cardinals essentially helped the Expos chase them down and make the playoffs for the first time in their franchise history, Um, and that second-half mini-dream died there for the Mets. As a matter of fact, the Cardinals finished with the best record in the National League East, combining each half, but missed the playoffs completely as... In the first half of the season, they finished a game and a half behind the Philadelphia Phillies, and in the second half of the season, they finished a half game behind the Montreal Expos. The Expos were 30-23, and the Cardinals were 29-23, and but due to the strike and the vagaries of the season, there was no... the the uneven number of games was the determinant there. That's a shame. Hate to see that happen to the Cardinals, don't you? Actually, the same fate befell the Cincinnati Reds, who had the best record in baseball when you added up the first half and the second half of the season, but they also finished the first half before the strike a half game behind the Los Angeles Dodgers, and the second half a game and a half behind the Houston Astros. So uh, the Cardinals and the Reds were the teams with the best records in the East and the West in the 1981 National League, and neither made the expanded playoffs. I guess we won't get something quite that weird in 2020, but I do expect if the season really does transpire, it will be an odd little race, uh, perhaps even odder than 1981. Marshall's final Major League Baseball appearance, fittingly enough, was against the Expos, where he first came to prominence uh, at Shea Stadium. And also, fittingly enough, the old workhorse Iron Mike went more than an inning, going an inning and a third, and recording one final game finish for his career in the Mets' 3-0 loss. That was the third-to-last game of the season, pushed the Expos a game and a half ahead of the Cardinals, and they would clinch the second-half division title the following day in a 5-4 victory over the Mets. Uh, Despite the Cardinals' victory, the Expos were then a game and a half ahead of the Cardinals, with one game for each to play. Uh, the Mets would beat the Expos in the season finale, uh, meaning the final National League East standings. Just to give you an idea of something you can look forward to if the 2020 season plays out, featured the Expos at 30 and 23, winning the division over the Cardinals at 29 and 23. 
the Phillies were 25 and 27, four and a half games out. The Mets, 24 and 28, five and a half games out. The last place Pirates were 21 and 33, nine and a half games out. So a veritable clusterfuck, uh, which perhaps is what we'll have to look forward to in the 2020 season, should it come to pass. But for Mike Marshall, that appearance in the third-to-last game of the season would be the final Major League appearance of his Major League career. As a New York Met, he appeared in 20 games, going 3-2. and uh, 20 games, 31 innings pitched, uh, 26 hits, and 8 walks versus only 8 strikeouts. Marshall was notoriously relied on his screwball. In many ways, as we touched on a bit, he had very unique ideas about pitching. He had quite a unique delivery, and he probably was ahead of his time in that he used the screwball, you know, a preponderance of the time, you know, maybe using the off-speed pitch as much or more as his fastball, uh, much like modern pitching seems to be trending towards, uh, but he really was starting to lose a little bit off the fastball and unable to put people away. Uh, but, you know, is evidenced by the eight strikeouts and 31 innings there in 1981. Uh, but he still managed to get by on guile and craftiness and recorded a 2.61 ERA with the Mets. Uh, one point, uh, 136 ERA plus uh, his 3.70 FIP did indicate a bit of luck, but still a pitcher with perhaps something left in the tank. But that that would be it for the career for, for the very impressive career of Mike Marshall, and uh, that that 0.6 war for baseball reference that he recorded as a Met uh, in those final 20 games of his career. Uh, just a footnote on a very impressive Major League career. Baseball reference has Marshall at 18.1 war for his career. Uh, his one loss record was 97 and 112 uh, with a 3.14 ERA. He appeared in 724 games in his career. He actually started 24 games, mostly early in his career, uh, recorded 188 saves, and perhaps most impressively, uh, I know it is a bit of a random stat, but he appeared in 724 games, and he recorded a game finished in 549 of those. Truly, truly a closer. (laughs) He led the league in games four times, Games finished five times, saves three times in his very impressive and diverse and well-traveled Major League career. It seems like Marshall's career maybe ended with a little bit left in the tank, and he never coached in baseball or anything, despite an obvious passion for pitching mechanics. Uh, just another example of how uh, different ideas are not always welcome in the baseball world. He did continue his education post-retirement, earning his PhD in 1978, added to that aforementioned master's degree. So he is now Dr. Mike Marshall, as his website, uh, drmikemarshall.com, proudly notes. And while he's never worked with a professional team, he has worked as an independent pitching coach and consultant for numerous athletes, preaching the theories of kinesiology. Uh, and if, if you go to his website, you can view some fascinating videos of what he teaches. It's a highly unusual pitching motion with virtually no real leg kick, uh, no rotation of the pitcher's hips towards second base, 
um, lifts the ball almost directly over his ear and follows through with a very extreme turn of the wrist outward, thumb pointing towards the ground. Uh, Marshall believes very strongly that pitchers can become injury-free using this method. Uh, it's it's fascinating if you go to the website and check out the pitching motion. I, the only thing I can compare it to, it looks a, a little bit almost like what I've seen in the very few clips I've seen of like a cricket hurler uh, without taking the extra step. But um, I don't know, it's the closest analogy I can think of, although I don't think that truly does it justice. It's in fact more extreme. Marshall did have an odd delivery if you look up old video of him pitching on YouTube and very odd move to first base that clearly would be a balk nowadays, I think. But um, even his motion is not as extreme as what he seems to uh, demonstrate in the videos that he's, that he's teaching now at, I feel like I should be getting royalties for this, DrMikeMarshall.com. Really, it's a fascinating baseball journey that the man had, and I feel oddly proud that even if it was just a footnote, that he wrapped it up in a Met uniform and wrapped it up in a weird and wacky half-season that, as I said, may provide a slight analog for what we may be able to witness this season if the 2020 season does indeed take place. And for all of those reasons, Mike Marshall was quite unformidable. Thank you all for listening to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can find this and all of our amazing pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave a review for our podcast if you can. It really helps us out. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, and the show is at Unformidable. I hope everyone out there is safe and healthy, and at this point I guess I hope we have a safe and healthy baseball season, and if we do, let's go Mets!